Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where you can learn the skills required to take your career in the data space up to the next level. We hear from industry leaders and top data scientists from around the world. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. And today we have a treat for you. We're speaking with Vladimir Iglovikov, who is currently a senior computer vision engineer at Lyft, working on level five self-driving. So level five is completely autonomous or completely self-driving vehicles. That's level five. And he's doing that at Lyft, which is one of Uber's main competitors. He works in Silicon Valley. And he's also a Kaggle Grandmaster ranked top 20 in the world. We've had Kaggle Grandmasters in the past. They come from a website called Kaggle, which is for international data science competitions. And in Kaggle, there are over 100,000 competitors engaging in all different types of data science competitions. And the top 130 people are Kaggle Grandmasters. In the past, we had the former number three, now number two in the world. And Pavel told us about how he got there and his journey. Vlad today tells us about his journey from Russia all the way to top 20 in the world in Kaggle and working on level five self-driving cars. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, I'll ask you to please share it with one person, to one person about the podcast. I will be so thankful for that. Here's the interview with Vlad. Hi, this is Felipe Turan speaking with Vlad. Vlad, thank you so much for making the time. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Really nice for inviting me. Very excited about this conversation. Me too. Very, very excited. Vlad, tell me, how did you get started in the data space? What drew you into it? So in some sense, my journey to the data science started relatively like late. So let's say, I mean, I learned the data science like exists like only a few years ago at the age of, let's say, 31. The story went like this. So you see, I was always excited about technology, but I mean, I don't really care that much about like front end and back end. So from like some of my friends, they implement some distributed system that like does petabytes of like per second. I really don't care. doesn't excite me that much. So when like, you know, long ago after graduation, I decided what career path do I want to pursue? I chose in physics. All my classmates went to computer science just because I knew that physics doesn't have money, but I really wanted to learn like how world works, what the underlying principles and something like deep fundamental, something that just doesn't, will not change in the next five years. And we know that computer science, I mean, fundamental stay, but overall, the surface of it is evolving a lot. So yeah, in the sense, I was finishing my PhD in physics at UC Davis, and I had some experience in coding during my like PhD because I was doing numerical simulations, quantum Monte Carlo. So I was exposed to coding, but I was coding like academia style coding, you know, like no unit tests, like barely written, like not reproducible, but it was still like good enough to get some results that were useful to the people who like read and maybe cited my works. But somewhere close to like my graduation, and I tell the story a lot to the folks because I mean the situation when people finish in physics or similar fields, which are not computer science, and they're deciding where to go, they get stuck. So like both that I was in, it was like, you know, six months before the graduation, and I was like deciding where should I go. Like postdoc position didn't excite me at all. It was the same as like being in grad school, writing papers, and basically there was no thrill in it. At the 
point, like when I came to grad school, I was like, I didn't know how to write papers, how to do this research, how to go to these conferences, presenting this well. But at the end, after five years of grad school, you get used to it. It's not exciting, not thrilling anymore. And Silicon Valley was studying in UC Davis in physics department. And Silicon Valley was like only one hour drive. And from time to time, you go to San Francisco to meet friends and you see all these conferences. Like you go to Starbucks and they're like five founders, they like trying to do their like, you know, potential startups. And of course, maybe like most of them will not work, but still, you see this drive, you see this thrill, you watch some TV shows about Silicon Valley, and I mean, it makes you excited. At the same time, I really didn't want to go for like standard software engineering stuff, like front-end, back-end, this type of the stuff. It really didn't excite me. I mean, it's so far from physics, from like dark energy, cosmology, black holes, space travel, whatever, some other sci-fi that I'm excited about. Luckily, six months before the graduation, one of my buddy who was studying in the same department, he stopped by to have a drinks at UC Davis and like visit his professor. And we had a few drinks and he told me about data science. And it sounded interesting. I liked word science there. I liked word data there. I like how he was talking about like fourth paradigm. Like so in addition to analytics and theory and numerics and experiment, you just basically have some data approach and it looked really curious to me, you know, like a new way to look at the world. And I really like his salary. He told that at the time, I mean, <laughs> yes, I mean, grad school in UC Davis is a, you know, as a grad student, you get about 25,000 per year before taxes. As a postdoc, let's say you get 50,000 per year. If you're assistant professor, let's say 80. If you're tenure professor and like whatever, like work for 20 years, let's say 130. I mean, they're like nice numbers. But when he told me that as a junior data scientist, he get like 100, I was like, wow, this is really nice. So at the time, I thought it's a big number. In reality, it's really, really small. And in San Francisco, it's pretty hard to survive with this amount of money. But I I would say, I mean, after living for five years, sharing apartment with other people, it sounded really nice. So I decided to switch to data science, but the issue was I had no clue what to do. Because I mean, I believe like people that like try to move to data science right now, you just open internet and you know, Google data science and you get enormous amount of information. It's all unstructured. Statistics, Spark, Hadoop, some services and it's like neural networks, machine learning and like bunch of buzzwords here and there. And you just like, wow, what should I do? And because timeline was relatively short, a few months before the graduation, I didn't to do something so i mean i started taking online classes that i like found online i believe it was like john hope like things that i take and kind of helped me to structure this vision of data science i believe it was some course at coursera from john hopkins this series were bad but at least i mean i learned a few keywords and from that point like googling was a bit easier started like you know looking into it one part of that class was something about machine learning and i mean i got the idea they were talking about logistic regression some other like standard straightforward simple algorithms and they mentioned Kaggle as a way to practice your like not product but like machine learning skills. So I joined Kaggle, tried here and there, participated, got used into it, and I mean I really liked it. In some sense, from that moment, I invested like three years heavily into Kaggle. Like I became Kaggle Grandmaster later on. I got to 19th place out of like all this like their global rating. And I mean, in good relationship with like CEO of Kaggle and CTO of Kaggle. And like three weeks ago, went to their offsite to talk and discuss what's the future of Kaggle, what perspective development and what users want and things like this. So I mean, basically got heavily involved into this. And of course, like wrote papers about Kaggle competitions later on, like talks, blog posts, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, at that point was something new to me. And of course, I mean, instant you have Kaggle to practice you like maybe 
algorithmic machine learning skills in this like artificial but still very valuable environment i mean also started looking for a job and this was the ocean of pain i believe i mean so i was looking for silicon like company in silicon valley and i had pretty interesting harsh requirements for my salary type of the job that i'm interested in and things like this and no one looked at my resume companies in silicon valley they're willing to pay a decent amount of money but at the same time for this they require from the person to be skilled in software engineering machine learning like statistics product like soft skills cultural fit etc etc and of course like if you spend so much time in academia and you're trying to get into like new field you don't understand these people i mean i believe my biggest fail like i mean my biggest issue when i applied to jobs in silicon valley coming purely from academia and spending time there it's because probably i assume that all people like in i mean in the rest of the world they're similar to people in academia and it's very far from truth and so i mean my technical skills i was learning a lot and after like all this like abstract physics that i was doing for so long you still can pick up coding here there like algorithms data structures the sql machine learning algorithm apply if you predict like cross-validation etc etc but i mean i was coming to interviews i was presenting this and you know interviewers felt like an aliens to me because i mean there was no connection i didn't feel that they're like buddies or like it's like people that i want to spend most of my day with them in the same room and probably they feel felt the same with me so i felt enormous amount of interviews i mean no first i like sent resumes and no one looked at this i didn't have anyone who could refer me and so it was really hard i sent probably my resume to 200 different companies gave to some like interviews some on sites wow and I mean, it was really harsh. And like, see, I had PhD in physics. I was really good in math. I had some coding experience, learning fast, but still I'm mean, failing after failing. And so finally, I was able to get an offer in a startup called Bidgely. And I thought it's a miracle. Partially, it was a miracle. I mean, I felt like a miracle because if I wouldn't able to get a job within like a couple months, one month from the moment when I got it, I would be like, you know, my visa would expire. I was on student visa and I would go back to Russia. So, and also looking for a job, no one was paying me. So my credit cards were depleted. So you see, this situation didn't make me excited about life in general and like my perspectives in data science, but somehow, you know, I survived through this. And I mean, I see how like, other folks are doing this i mean it works so just a brute force you do you try and you need to learn a lot because maybe unlike some other fields i would believe that you know when you apply for junior software engineering position you get good elite code and you will get an offer like google facebook whatever makes you happy but for data science field is so huge and no one knows how to hire it well you just learn 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 and i mean at some point it may click and it may work but yeah that's like where i go to the first startup called bigly internet of things location sunny well, startup was fine, but location kind of sucked. I mean, I expected coming to Silicon Valley that, you know, Silicon Valley will be area that I like was imagining in my science fiction dreams or maybe seen in TV. Companies, a lot of people, excitement, thrill, you know, like self-flying cars or like whatever you want. Yeah. But it's <laughs> not about still maybe naive but when you hear the silicon valley three like leading technological player in the world yeah. and it's like words you kind of imagine this and then you come to silicon valley and you don't have anyone on the streets it's like town after zombie apocalypse it has like headquarters <laughs> of LinkedIn and like headquarters of google and mountain views nearby still like town after zombie apocalypse and i grew up in st petersburg city that's probably one of the most gorgeous cities in the world i was going to opera and museums all the time like you know just walking the city was nice and i mean some Anyway, wasn't really the place. It made me frustrated. And I mean, after eight months, I moved to San Francisco to another startup called True Accord. True Accord was like a better fit. 
more related to machine learning and unlike Bigly used at the time MATLAB to prototype in like to like for deploying in production, which is horrible choice in my understanding, but whatever works. And so in Trocord was like Python, machine learning, it was nice. At the same time, I, I want to say that I, like when I started doing this Kaggle in the beginning, continued working and I got a job in Bigly during the day, like some data science job, like in the evenings, machine traditional machine learning. Then I, it helped me to get a job in Trocord and then during the day, traditional machine learning at work and deploying all these like soft skills, product, etc. And in the evening, I worked on deep learning, computer vision. Deep learning is not as exciting as physics. I mean, not even close and not in the same universe, but still, I mean, it, it was much better than traditional one. So yeah, plenty of competitions, studying papers, books. And this helped me to get computer vision jobs in Lyft, where I work right now, applying deep learning and traditional computer vision to the problems of self-driving. So yeah, this was my journey. I don't know what will be my next step, but I mean, it may happen at some point soon. So this was the mapping yeah, from exactly. self-driving computer vision in Silicon Valley. That's amazing. And when you went into Silicon Valley coming from a, an academic background, what do you think was the main thing that you had to learn in order to be effective in a work setting, something that you didn't need in an academic setting? This is a good question. So in some sense, like, I believe I'm not unique. I had plenty of issues, enormous amount of issues transferring from academia to the industry, like from, like, you know, UC Davis to Silicon Valley. And right now, when some candidates come to, like, our work, just in there from, like, fresh grads from the academia, and they can be PhD, postdocs, whatever, or maybe people from, like, research labs in industrial setting, it takes some time for to get lack of friction and basically for team to start being productive. I had plenty of things. First of all, I mean, of course, lack of technical knowledge. I mean, maybe it's not the biggest issue, but still, when you're coming to a startup, you need to wear a lot of hats and you have like gaps in your knowledge everywhere. You're good in math and like really good in math, but who cares? Because right now, if some backend server is failing, you need to figure out something about Docker and like why it doesn't fit and you don't even know these keywords, but you need to learn this fast. So there's also like this. Another thing that I believe is very important is level of stress and timelines that you work in and your metrics. I was working in physics, not just physics, theoretical physics. So like in grad school, what is like your metric for success? You need to like take these classes, teach, and I love teaching, kind of miss it a lot. But I mean, you need to publish a paper in a good journal, top one or close to it, and once a year. So in this sense, I mean, if, if you can do it like in one week, rest of the year, just like slacking around, enjoying your life, and you see this is a great <laughs> But I mean, maybe it will take you longer, but still, I mean, you don't feel that there is a deadline in one week in front of you. This is really stressful and like two weeks. And you kind of like work, read, you can go deep. Right? This part I really like. There is no way that you'll learn like some deep advanced topic working in the industry. There is like just doesn't happen. But like in research, you have plenty of time, focus, like out of all distractions, focus, I mean, and just like work on this. And you get used to it, you enjoy it, and you kind of maybe assume or you don't expect that it will be different you come to the industry. And here, you know, high like technological companies they always like in the huge exploration space you need to figure out who are your customers what is your product fit what project works what resources do you need like is technology here i mean does like you know results in the papers work like for your particular use case so basically there's a lot of experimentations there's like two week sprints backlogs you see what works what doesn't iterate on this collaborate with other team members and this is a really different time scale so basically you always have something that you need to deliver and you need to deliver this two weeks and if you don't deliver it someone will be blocked or whatever 
pilot. So in this sense, and there's a lot of unknowns in this journey and all company works like this. So I mean, there's plenty of stress. And in this sense, I would say with respect to the academia, work in the industry in Silicon Valley feels like a very toxic environment and many people get burned out. And let's say like plenty of Russian speaking people, they come here, get burned like work, get to some senior level in Google. Then just like, no, like not interesting. And they go back to Russia, maybe Europe where work is a bit more socially friendly so like still stress but not that much level as you get here so yeah this was stress it was one thing so in my first year after graduation i got 10 kilos of weight and i didn't even think that my body composition is able to do it like i mean i was always fit but like coming the startups and working all this unhealthy food and stress i mean i got out of shape which wasn't cool also you know communication with other people so in academia you know you spend time in physics department people around you like graduate student professors they know physics maybe some you have same way of thinking you have same mindset you read same books you discuss same topics you spend time arguing about problems that like everyone kind of feels sure there's some specialization and like people in the same department like professors or grad students may not understand exactly what state of the art research that they're working on i mean people from two different branches but still kind of like more or less are very very similar and at the same time i mean to building products and industry you need people that have so many different skills in the same room that there is no way that it will be one two or three or something like this so you need to develop a lot of skills yourself and also you need to communicate your problems or maybe your blockers or maybe understand what blockers other people have and you have completely different background maybe intelligence level maybe your interest maybe your metrics and it's really hard to understand how to parse just yeah it took me a while to understand what was happening so and it was in the startups it was tricky but somehow i survived still startup like 50 people you have drinks you understand each other you learn from and then yeah and then i came to lift and lift a few thousand people and i was just like wow reorganizations like politics like resources something is changing people are running around someone is leaving someone is coming and i want to remind the audience that on average people work in silicon valley 1.5 years it means that i mean Uh within like years like whatever half of the company is like changing and who are these people their interest their agenda like what do you need to do next what should you learn this was really like challenging to me like and but somehow after all this like year and a half that i spent here i feel pretty comfortable like i I got the idea although it involved me to read about like 40 different books about business soft skills how startup works and yeah uh-huh. have discussions within a company which is good in the big companies they have these programs they understand the issues that people are facing and i mean they have some mentoring program and i'm able to discuss all these issues that i'm facing with managers and like people that played this game earlier so in this sense it's really cool that's really interesting and any good book recommendations from that list that might have stood out to you Ooh, this is good like point so in this sense like listed like i mean if you start reading this book you'll start realizing that i mean many of them are duplicating each other and yes. even like books in the similar area they're duplicating each other and so i mean book that i really like and but many people really have 48 laws of power it's about yeah. like will help you to parse the politics a bit more i like the book deep work i like the book don't be so good that they can't ignore you explains what and how at the same time i like the book radical candor that Help me to understand some initiatives and behavior that some managers have because maybe it's not transparent or maybe they're not that skilled and they're trying to mimic this book, which is pretty popular here in the Valley. But like this book, what other books came in my mind? Mastery, really nice book about how to get like maybe not an expert, but really like an exceptional expert in the field. Like same author who wrote like 48 Laws of Power, really liked it. 
there were like a few books about negotiation. I don't remember the names. Again, one of the issues when I came, you know, my first offer, my first job offer was pretty bad. And second was like, I mean, better, but still pretty far from how could it be. One of the reasons, because you see in Russian culture, negotiating is not considered as like high, like style. I mean, you just go straight to business, discuss what, how, like, I mean, get a deal and that's it. And again, academia also like all salaries fixed and not that much interaction between teams, at least in my field. And then when I negotiated for the salary, of course, like a charge took advantage of like lack of my skill. I mean, which is normal, but like right now, I believe I'm in a much better position in terms of discussions about like, you know, compensation. And again, negotiation is not just money. I mean, when I have like project that involves people that have skills that I don't have, like right now at work, I need to go to another team, have some discussion, make them excited, make them feel what will they get, like maybe in terms of career or maybe in terms of skills or maybe just excitement and somehow to make it work. So in this sense, like books about negotiation were really cool. Of course, I like read like some books about industry. When I moved like in Lyft from the ride sharing part to the self-driving, I read a book about quest autonomous driving. Kind of helped me understand like where industry is right now and where are we going and why we are not there, but like how far we are from like actual like self-driving on the roads. So yeah, like this type of the books. So I last year probably read about 40 books and it's mostly it's audio books. Like I hate commute, but I live in San Francisco. Again, it's like <laughs> Yesterday, I was in the opera on Fukerman in San Francisco, and I really liked it. So living in Palo Alto would not be an option because opera, just walking around nice restaurants. Palo Alto is nice, but pretty far from San Francisco, which is, again, also San Francisco, like after after St. Petersburg and after Moscow feels like a village to me. But anyway, so I'm commuting. <laughs> with the I mean, no jokes. I mean, compare Moscow, New York, and San Francisco. Shit, it's like a tiny village. So yeah, like commute takes a time, and yeah, I listen to a lot of audio books. And again, if it was like some pretty dense book, it would be hard to hear this in the traffic. But I mean, all these business oriented books, they're pretty vague and there's a lot of mumbling about like every topic. So there is like not a problem if you miss like a few sentences here and there kind of helps me. I believe like for the audience, if they have time, which again, let's say when I moved from like academia to my first startup, there was no room for business of soft skills books. You read a lot of technical literature, like you just try to learn machine learning code backend, et cetera, et cetera. But later on, when you like get to like a bit more plateau, it's some luxury to have some business books. You need a need to yes. start doing this. In this sense, Google is relatively decent. You can Google, okay, like I moved from academia, to, like you just can directly Google this like query. I moved from academia to start to, you know, industry, what books should I read or best books for reading for people who want to start their own startup, best books for understand politics in a company, like whatever query you will do, still top books, they will appear there. And again, it's not really that important which one will you read because most of them, they write exactly the same in a bit different wording, covering a bit different examples. It's true. And tell me, what are the benefits that you've seen from those skills, from the soft skills? What are the benefits that you've seen in your career from them? Oh, simply, let's say uh, I came to the lift. My expertise is computer vision, machine learning. Yeah, I can train some models, but I need to get some data. And you need to go and talk to people, figure out, do we have this data in different teams? What? just to do it or not. Then let's say you train a model. No one knows that you exist in the company. No one knows that you have this model. And like not that many people know like for what they're useful. In this sense, there's come some kind of like marketing or promotion or like explaining, understanding how this model like is useful to someone. But still, I kind of skipped it. Before this, you need to run around, talk to different people, understand what are their pain points, how they can be addressed, get some ideas about this, some proposals, implement them. Then still, I mean, they told you that it's a pain point, but it's pretty far from them adopting your solution. All this 
business kind of helps. So getting more resources, understanding what and how, how does this like big company or maybe, you know, your department's OKRs, like your planning, like related to what exactly do you do? It's so far from writing code. It's so far from solving integrals on the whiteboard. It's so far from everything else. I don't think you can learn this like from the books. You can learn this only from the practice and books just can explain to you, maybe give some information, like some thoughts or basically books can help you to do some kind of shortcuts, but still this skill and this soft skill business that you're doing here on the everyday basis, it's kind of, you can learn this only in the company. And I believe like, so, oh, even more than this. If you look at any company in Silicon Valley, that's a big one, Google, Facebook, like LiveTube or whatever you want, they have some grades for the people that are here. It's just easier in terms of like management, promotions, and like compensation. So let's say L3 is junior, L4 is middle, L5 is senior, L6 is like staff, or maybe you can become manager at this level, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, I mean, to going from one level to another, there should be some criteria. And when company is small, you just know what's right, what's not, and it's not really an issue. But when company gets to some big size, I mean, thousands or even hundreds, people start adopting this like grade level, and it works on average. There's a lot of complaints, but still on average in different companies, Google is the most famous, the Lyft kind of, I believe, copied it, Uber copied it, and many other companies also adopted it. So, yeah, there is some criteria. You can open some doc. It tells you the level of three, you need to deliver, write code, like something, something, implement some feature at level four or something else. And more you go toward these levels, you can see that even as an individual contributor, like even you're not manager, like technically still, I mean, collaboration between teams, resources, proposal, converting like vague business needs to like concrete technical proposals. So, yeah, this is mandatory for you to evolve as an engineer even as individual contributor, for you to be able to participate, to lead, to do complex projects, you need to learn how to not just communicate and not just to work, but excite people that in different teams about your project. As I mentioned, like you're converting like something vague that comes from the vision of the founders into something like more concrete, like, you know, measurable with milestones or KRs, or maybe if it's unclear what and how, still being able on the regular basis, like look what works, what doesn't iterate. And these things are mandatory. And yeah, it was like luck of them in the academia definitely pushed me back here. So in this sense, it's not surprising that when people come from academia, they have, you know, PhDs, they think they're smart and they are smart. A bunch of papers at like some top conferences. And I mean, so a person is smart and he's assuming and he got a lot of respect from his students and professors in academia and he's coming to the industry. If he has PhD, typically he gets to the middle level. It's something that person after bachelor's can get like in two, three years. I mean, person who's not dumb, basically, and not higher. So your academic achievements, your state-of-the-art like models, papers, rarely can give you above like L4. So L4 is your maximum because, as I've said, like skills, the soft skills, marketing, and everything else, somehow not related to like hard skills, it's crucial for you to be more impactful in the company and outside of it. Yes, definitely. And tell me, how do you manage stress? This is good point. So, I mean, in some sense, I'm a bit lucky. Early in my career, even before, like, when I was 18, I decided to take a break from the studies in the university, and I went to the Russian military, where I spent two years. I was wow. in the war, I had a medal, so I got some like, physical wow. training, endurance, and a lot of mental ones. So, and there, you live beyond burnout, and you somehow survive, and it makes you stronger mentally. And in this sense, it probably, when I watched, like, my 
fellow graduate students in the graduate school, I mean, I was able to handle more stress and some things that they consider like you know, horrible, stressful, or burned out. One guy in our year, he like dropped grad school and got to some mental asylum because stress was too much. I mean, for me, it wasn't an issue. I mean, it was stress, but it was definitely manageable. So I believe one of the components that helps me to do plenty of things at the same time. And for example, let's say last year, I got Kaggle Grandmaster, published 10 papers, wrote a bunch of blog posts, and at the same time, performed really well at work just wow. and doing sports and of course social life like girlfriends and all this stuff you need to squeeze it at the same like unit of time and it's pretty challenging and distracting and this so i mean this is military background i hope and i believe kind of help at the same time still it's not like a solution silicon valley is very stressful fearing of missing out is huge because every morning like i like feel this dashboard and trail of it, what I need to do today, what tasks. And I mean, you feel that you're behind in all your problems because I mean, it can be like social life, can be sports and I like to be fit, kind of like makes me feel good. And it's good overall like for your appearance and just, yeah, feeling strong is good. And also, I mean, at the same time, you give a talk at some conference, then you watch a presentation, say, you know, in April, I gave a talk at Kaggle Days. Audience liked it, but when I watched, just like, yeah, here's bad, here's here, he can be improved. So you get motivation to work on your public speaking skills. Then you write, maybe work on some model for like at work or competition or something else. And you're just like, wow, okay, so kind of, you know, my technical skills in terms of machine learning going down, I should invest into this. And it's kind of like in front of you, you feel the pain of lack of your skills. And then right now, I'm working, I was invited to write like chapters into books about medical imaging. And I mean, of course, I need to sit and write. This will take some of my free time. And of course, work and at work, it's technical skills. It may be machine learning, can be like, you know, front and back end. It's again, soft skills. And also you need somehow like, also for you to grow as a person again you see you invited me probably not just because you randomly clicked for the person on the linkedin you invest a bit in terms of like you know developing your visibility so i write some blog posts like talks interviews at the youtube and etc etc also you kind of still need to work on this because if you're just working on some models within a company no one knows that you exist and it's not that good for your career and like for some other applications as let's say if i will want to do my own startup which may happen at some point soon it's probably a bit easier if you like more visible and well more well known as an expert so basically every like it's all in front of you every morning and you don't know how to escape it and you have a limited amount of time and energy and somehow you juggle with all this like tasks suppress some of them prioritize like still you read some book about like more how to be more productive doesn't help that well because like the best way to optimize your tasks is cut some of them all this sorting and squeezing them into some blocks doesn't help i read email probably once a day because doing this more often it's out of i just don't want to spend time on it and i check social networks relatively rarely but anyway still what i'm trying to say still it's like so much stress the only thing that i want to say i hope it will end at some point soon because i mean sustaining this for like let's say next 20 years probably not a good idea for my mental health and for the people that surround me and like interact with me basically i mean still there's a lot of stress and i don't know how to escape it yeah definitely it's difficult to escape especially when you're as ambitious and motivated and hungry to contribute as you are, which is fantastic. We're lucky that you're sharing your work in all these different ways and that you're advancing the field and doing very interesting vision problems. It's all really great. So in the sense that we're lucky that you're willing to try so hard and put so much effort into it. And that's why I wanted to ask you the question about stress. And tell me, when you were when you were in the army, what was it that was 
that good training ground for stress or how was it able to prepare you for such high levels of stress? Okay, this actually, like, I mean, I don't want to go into the details in some sense, my training and bit of classified, but you remember this, like, movie yes. Full Metal Jacket, yeah? Full yeah. Metal Jacket, like, you know, first half of it when they have this training in some sense looks like a kindergarten, like, to me, but you get the idea of how <laughs> you and you get like used to this type of the maybe not treatment, but this level of stress because you remember this movie, guys. Just there is no like relaxation there. Maybe in the second part, like in the Vietnam, I bit relaxed here and there, but in the first part, there's always something that you need to be doing. I remember how like in the army for the first six months, there was zero free time for me. Like seriously, zero free time. There's always something wow. that you're doing. The only free time that you had like is at night and you're sleeping about four hours a day and everything there, like physical training and some stress, some running. Some you know mental things that kind of surgeons and like officers doing you and just it's stressful extremely but then i mean it's stressful one day second third first week like in a few months you just basically get used to it and it becomes from something extraordinary that like pushes you away like from your boundaries to something that you accept and that's become like you know kind of norm for you and everything that is better is kind of a luxury in this sense yeah i'm saying i'm stressed out like in silicon Valley right now but i mean it's so far from what it was in the military that like i mean it's not a big deal that's amazing. Well done. And when did you start competing in Kaggle? And what was it about the Kaggle that made it so fun and addictive for you? I started working on Kaggle, I don't know, like three and a half or four years ago, like whatever, something like this time. Probably it was about four years ago. I started because I needed to do something. As I've said, I was like graduating. I watched this online class and like next up, okay, so what right now? You you just like some papers, you have no clue what's happening in half of them. Or you, well, you understand what's happening, but you don't understand like how to apply. And Kaggle looked like a good, I don't want to say useful word playground because my audience may think that Kaggle competitions are like so artificial, it's like a playground. Let's say, you know, weightlifting gym. Still, I mean, yes. weightlifting weights maybe not directly applicable to like real life. I mean, fact that you're above doesn't make that you'll be paid more, that women will like you more, like whatever it is. But I mean, still getting more muscles and it affects your posture, maybe affects how you move your body language and just your confidence in general. In this sense, let's say, yes, so Kaggle competitions is like a weightlifting gym. So, yeah. I started participating. First few competitions were epic fails. But at the same time, this gamification that they have this like real-time leaderboard, relatively clean data. It's not always like ultra clean, but like relatively clean with respect to what I typically face at work. And also the community. You eat like what I really liked. You know, you pick a competition. You have no clue what's this topic. Let's say a natural language processing. You never tried it. But yeah, there is some like, you know, starting code which allows you to do end-to-end even if you have no clue what's happening there. Then you read forum. Then you kind of like have like ask questions people answer them and it's like straight to the point then they give you a good link so maybe you know like use some words that you can google later on and kind of learn from them so in this sense every competition it's like one particular exercise like in the gym let's say you know like competition about nlp it's like you know squats and you focus completely on this and you develop this field you have no clue about computer vision you have no clue about time series but for this particular application of like let's say natural language processing let's say it's i don't know like search result relevance you're becoming good and then you switch to the next one and next one and this focused approach in terms of learning much more productive than just reading books or papers or online classes purely because machine learning is an applied discipline physics theoretical physics that i was like studying in university year requires learning like algebra mathematical analysis complex analysis 
and then goes to different geometries, topology, Riemannian geometry, group theory, quantum field theory, and somehow one builds on top of each other. And there is no way that you'll understand like even line in the book about group theory if you never, you didn't build your background for this. Machine learning is a bit opposite. There is no good theory, and at the same time, it's kind of related to code, exp very experimental. So in this sense, fit predict works for many problems, and the fact that you can take someone's other pipeline and build on top of this, like doing these iterations, is extremely valuable. And Kaggle teaches this really well, and that's how I used Kaggle to build my, first of all, like to build my skills, which in combination with my industry skills and my academic skills helped me like to like, move along jobs and get better and better jobs in terms of like projects and pay and teams and everything like this. Right now, it's my probably the best job in my life. Hopefully, next one will be even better. So, and, and also, again, Kaggle achievements three day, like three years ago, no one knew that Kaggle exists and Kaggle achievements were not valued. and community was small so selling them as your portfolio was really hard right now situation is a bit different and again like i'm kaggle grandmaster and it's only i believe 150 of them in the world out of all these people that are registered and participated which again like helps from time to time yeah exactly i think there's over 100,000 competitors on kaggle so being in the you know in yeah. the top 150 as a grandmaster and then even higher or higher within that 150 as you've done it's incredible no really really well done and before you mentioned something that i thought was really interesting so i, I really wanted to go back to you said we're talking about the hiring process of data science and data scientists and you said that it's difficult to have a, a good hiring process for data scientists and that a lot of people don't do it well what do you think about the hiring process at the moment and how can we improve it i mean this is a very good question so the reality in my understanding that no one knows how to hire because all the time we, like people like companies hire bad candidates and they skip good candidates and for many people also like getting used to the team and something like takes a while at the same time in silicon valley so many people are competing for the talent and because let's say during your performance review let's say you perform really well stayed for many hours invested a lot in the company and you get promoted and you increase your like compensation by let's say like three percent but you can do like similar story and instead of working that hard invest more into like walking around looking for other opportunities and you change job and you get like 10-15%. And of course, when you look at the numbers, I mean, you have family, you have some needs, people are not stupid. So everyone is moving around the companies because competition for the talent is so high. It's one thing. Second, companies still expect a lot of the knowledge from the candidates. And if you look at like standard job I mean, resume, they expect, you know, 10 years of industry experience, 10 PhDs, Olympic gold medal, and blah, blah, blah. So basically, <laughs> throw a lot of like buzzwords. And in reality, they want like some just like nice, not stupid guy that knows how to write code and maybe can learn fast. But because they have this job interview, then you have some hiring process and interviewers, you need to like hire people. I also have problems with this. When, so I don't remember, Lyft is paying relatively well. And problems that we are facing here in self-driving are really cool. So in this sense, we have like, a flow of strong candidates that are coming to a company every day or applying for this. I don't remember when I was interviewing a candidate for computer vision position that didn't have like a PhD or a bunch of different papers from the top conferences. Like a lot of them still doesn't mean that candidate is good. He may be good in the things that he was doing, but when you try to check how like 
what's his background to experience the things that we are facing or how like it's just hard to estimate this estimate how he will be excited or integrated on the team to work on this also is pretty tricky so that's why i believe someone told me this number something about 80 percent of the people in silicon valley are hired through the referral if i'm not lying let's say in google like you refer a person say okay this candidate is good he's interested in some position and if this person got hired and works for like three months or something like this he like in google gets like five thousand another company this number is different but still i mean there are some incentives to motivate people to hire someone they worked with when like enjoyed working on and believe they're a good fit because this is pretty strong data point if i work with someone for two years and resume looks decent this is pretty good but if it's just like some candidate from the street it's really hard for this person to get into and it's why it was like really my huge problem like i mean one of many ones moving from academia to the industry because without referrals it was close to impossible even giving to tech screen and wow. so like i'm saying like no one knows how to hire at the same time if you talk particularly about like field of machine learning computer vision it's cool to train models it's cool like to do some experiments read papers implement them go to the conferences and do this stuff but as a like companies paying you money so they're expecting some impact solve some real problems so just basically your work should be integrated as a code in some other pipelines but it means that like most of the time this candidate will have issues will work on some data engineering data cleaning and some other tasks and not on actual like machine learning or training luckily my situation is different i spent a lot of time on machine learning reading papers so like i kind of like got what i wanted but most of the positions they are really different so people come and they expect a, like model training like jupyter notebooks whatever they make them happy visualizations some kind of like kaggle related environment but reality may be slightly different and especially because again like they spend plenty of times on the meetings which is again not very like helpful and enjoyable so there is also like some issue that candidates can get burned out less excited about work and then they leave and again plenty of literature in the plenty of good literature about how to build good teams productive teams how to prevent people from being bored at the same time from them to prevent them from being burned out and to some extent companies are doing good job in terms of this because silicon valley even with its all like toxic environment fear of missing out like a lot of stress to move to learn to evolve i mean we are developing great products ride sharing search Netflix, whatever you want. Still, Silicon, with all its minuses, Silicon Valley, it's the top place in terms of technology and people are moving here. And I believe that for like everyone in the world who wants to develop their soft skills, hard skills, product skills, get used to all this like flowing, all this boiling, they should come to Silicon Valley and like try to get a good job in a good company and move. So basically, yeah, I encourage everyone to like move to Silicon Valley for some time. Living here for a long time may be a bit stressful. And so, as I've said, many people move back from there, you know, to India or China and like, you know, Russia and maybe different parts of the United States. But for some time, while you're young, why you don't have 10 kids and everything else, it's a good idea. That is great advice. And tell me, what was it about computer vision that really interested you and got you excited about it? This is a good question. So definitely like not the like math because machine learning in terms of math, it's like high school math or maybe freshman year in some like physics math college. So like I like advanced cool math and neural networks are not there. I like that you can solve pretty cool problems that you understand. 
you see a picture, yeah, and it like predicts it's a dog, like cat or whatever you want, and you use a human and say, yeah, it works like it's what I do. When you do traditional machine learning, some tabular data, you have some vector features, and you have no clue what this like A, B, or 1.5 mean. So interpretation is worse. Yeah. And I believe in many like of this works. So typically, let's say in terms of how I debug neural networks for like competitions, people say you need to do a lot of like great cross-validation, things like this. For competitions, I don't do cross-validations. Seriously, I don't. What I typically do, I train the network, then I do predictions of my model on this unseen data, or maybe seen data, visualize it, and I use my domain knowledge, my intuition to understand how the training process can be improved, and it often works, and then typically works really well, because many things, some cross-validation, some blind numbers, they don't tell you. So in this sense, when I work on machine learning, I try to visualize as much as possible for table or data, all these distributions and correlations between features, and for computer vision, the basic one is what your network sees, what is activated and what like it got excited about, some feature maps, grab cam and this type of the tricks and just like, you know, plotting predictions on top of images can give you enormous amount of information how to improve these networks. So basically, maybe I was excited about computer vision because I mean, gave me this like intuition. And of course, the most important because it worked for me, I got my Kaggle Grandmaster, all my five gold medals that required at Kaggle to get to the Grandmaster level, they're in the computer vision deep learning competition. So it just worked for me well. Maybe if it was like really bad for me, I would like stop being excited and move to natural language processing. No, I don't know, like any other like backend, front end, or any other field. But that's so interesting. I never thought about it that way. That in computer vision, you're teaching the algorithm to do things that you can do and you can validate it so easily, as opposed to you know machine learning, where you're you're dealing with multiple dimensions that is difficult to even visualize at times, and there's uh-huh. a whole set of other challenges. That's really interesting. And tell me, within computer vision, what problems are you currently thinking about? This is a good question. So first of all, I can't tell you like any details because like non-disclosure agreement, like work, etc. But I mean, still things like that I'm facing are similar to like what other like people are doing. Detection, segmentation, I mean, side projects and again, like papers that I'm writing are related to this. But also, for example, like this task, I'm also there's like, you know, working these competitions for a while. Use a lot of data augmentations to pre-process your data, you know, like add contrast, brightness, shift some pixels, crop something of it. Basically data augmentations and that we implemented, I mean, some of my friends and I, and then later on we like merged it and build like nice data augmentation library that creates some like cool like transformations varying from brightness, contrast, and some shifts and rotations to like JPEG compression and weather conditions and some other stuff. So still I'm working on this. And again, like you can add more data to your training or you can like choose proper like data augmentations and typically for this data augmentation just like do trial and fail grid search and blindly try to do something very curious how to use reinforcement learning to make it better and there are some papers on the topic and second problem again i never thought about this when i worked in the kaggle there is another issue so like you work on some model you do some iterations you have some weights you have some data you have some code and then you iterate and you have no clue later on if you want to revert back to something that you developed and you have some weights you have bare understanding of like what commit was used to develop them so in this sense my friends are building a tool dvc.org that kind of works on related to data and model versioning so kind of connects data and code and like artifacts of the model training in such like nice reproducible way and i'm advising them and their startup and all these discussions with them and being involved in this start made me think more about reproducibility because more i think about how much compute time was i spent to develop artifacts 
for many like models that I was facing, papers and competitions and at work, and then how much of this was just basically scratched. And later on, like I needed to retrain, redo, and like remember how it was done instead of just like simply reusing. And then of course there is like some wave of reproducibility issues in different conferences. People apply paper to conference, NIP, CVPR, CCV, ECML, and look good in the paper, but no one can reproduce it. This is also an issue, like in this reproducible research. Earlier in the days, people were claiming it's only issue of the soft skills, like psychology or sociology or nutrition, where just there's no way to reproduce your like experimental research. People thought that like in physics and math and computer science, it's not an issue, but machine learning also jumped into this like bad version of this social science and again this my thoughts and my work on this reproducible like machine learning also like that's what i'm thinking some decent amount of my time oh that's outstanding and with so many applications of machine vision why did you choose for autonomous driving First of all, like autonomous driving is extremely exciting area, enormous amount of like scientific and engineering challenges also attracts ambitious and in like good talent. I would believe that on average, if you compare talent in the ride sharing part of the lift company that I work in and self-driving parts, self-driving just like, you know, more intelligent, more skilled, more ambitious also, probably this also like makes me, it's basically cool, like place and team to work. Another thing, realistically, if you look at the blog post, yeah, computer vision here, computer vision there, but number of actual positions that require computer vision knowledge is really, really, really small, mainly because incremental value of developing and supporting computer vision algorithms for many products is so small that, I mean, it's changing this time, but not that many interesting positions overall. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there's something in medical imaging, but and I have yeah, a lot of experience there, but issues of privacy and issues of FDA approval, some legal issues like cut off like many companies from evolving. So basically, yeah, if maybe I'll find something more exciting than still driving, I don't know, maybe NASA is working on some project that are really cool and more related <laughs> to space and travel and like Mars, moon base, maybe it will be better than still driving. But so far, I don't see any other industry, any other technology that is so striking, so exciting and so science fiction related as still driving. I'm very glad that we have great people like you working on this problem because I, as millions of others, we can't wait until we have uh, driverless cars and have that level five automation. So that is a, a world and a future I definitely want to be, live in. So yeah, thank you for that. So then a related question, if you were to do a startup in the future, or we say if, or maybe if and when, depends, what type of area or problems do you think you would tackle? Maybe if I knew this like answer right now, I would not be in lift and like being pursuing some other opportunity in my own startup. At the same time, you want something because I'm excited about technology again, excited about science fiction it should be something like relatively complex technologically. At the same time, 99.9% of technologically complex solutions, just developing, maintaining them doesn't make sense because just incremental value or some simple baselines from the business standpoint is relatively small. So yeah, still thinking about this. What area I would like to do something about how people live forever, maybe biotechnology, chemistry, maybe, you know, related to physics or anything else. But it happens that my expertise, technical and like domain knowledge expertise lies on like few narrow fields, computer vision, machine learning, some domain knowledge that I go in and it's like startups and maybe something that I got from like physics background, still thinking and debating and exploring the market, looking for like what exciting opportunities. 
that I'll be able like co-founders to handle that other people may be lacking some skill off or maybe something else. Basically, I don't know the answer to your question, still in the search. And of course, like even more important question, building startup is a very complex job and you just basically kills you like all your like free and other activities and you can't help handle this by yourself. You need to sacrifice like a lot of things and you need a team because something that even when your startup is not doing well, everything is like stressed out, you need to be able to sit in one room and talk and get something like constructive. I had this experience with the folks like again in the military when like, you know, stress and life sucks and we're able to still doing pretty crazy and cool stuff. And I would like to meet similar people here that also have not just like this type of the people that I'll be able to work in the stressed out situation, but that have skills that are complementary to mine. So, I mean, I don't know, answer to your questions, maybe in some time in a year or like six months or like two years, I'll have something like more constructive to answer. But it's really interesting to hear that you're being so strategic about it and thinking about the areas that you would have a competitive advantage, not just by saying, oh, I know machine vision, so I can do something around that. But you're thinking further than that, as in what is a unique combination of skills that you may have that can be applied to a specific problem where you have more than one advantage. So that's really interesting. You see, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. Maybe like, you know, if not these thoughts, I would already start something and learn a lot and maybe something <laughs> would. Who knows? Maybe I'm too cautious on this one. If you are being too cautious, in the meantime, you're developing and will continue to develop excellent skills. That's really good. In your career, what are you most proud of? I don't like know any some any specific like example events or oh like this is like great achievement and I'm proud. Now even like getting PhD wasn't like you know you just got this on the fly. Kaggle Grandmaster you get this on the fly. Getting like good interesting jobs, I mean you get this. I mean you get used to it. Probably a thing that I would say I'm proud of. It's like, you know, you're still stressed out and every day, every morning, you like ask yourself question, am I doing the right thing? Maybe you should do something else because you look around, you look at your classmates and people are doing different things. And you know what? Like my answer so far is no, I'm doing the right things. Definitely stressful. Definitely not everything goes well. And another thing, like to learn fast, I'm trying to maximize number of mistakes that I do per day. And it's again, like fails, rejections mistakes you learn a lot from like this pain helps you to move farther move faster but still like kind of burns you out you know still i'm proud of where i am and like so far everything works well and i'm proud that i'm kind of like following my like intuition ideas and maybe not like listening like other people's that much probably like one of like important skills that i have like it's the fact that i'm ignoring people in their opinions and i'm proud of it that's excellent I love it that you said that you're aiming to maximize mistakes in a day. How long have you been doing that? How has that you been? You my life. I believe you see, like, if you do some sports, lift weights, or, like, rock climb, or, like, run, or things like this, if you just, like, do it without feeling any pressure on yourself, without maybe feeling, like, pain in your muscles in the morning, without this, it just doesn't work. I remember, like, this, like, example at some point. I mean, I'm very introverted. Like, maybe it's not that obvious from this interview. It was, like, later developed, but, like, I was introverted and very shy. And even, like, asking some girl out, and you kind of, like, suspect that she likes me, it was extremely stressful and, like, this feeling of rejection and it was really painful just even think about this but i mean i put some effort into asking being rejected and learning how to do it properly and like then just this pain boosted me a lot and like if i had a choice do i need to stay in the stage where yeah like i'm in this like safe zone but there is no like no short-term pain but overall my direction and like you know speed with which i develop my skills maybe social maybe hard skill is just like low or i want to feel more pain per day but at the same time feel that i'm achieving something climbing up in this like maslow pyramid of needs just 
yeah, I'll prefer like probably second one feels better. Or maybe again, feel military background where like, I mean, every day was a pain and still like, you know, made us stronger, tougher than I can deflect it. So this is related to the next question, which is tough one, and is continuing the theme of failure. I wanted to ask you, have you had a failure in the past that at the time felt obviously really bad, but then in the long run, it set you up for a greater success? I don't like have these examples in my mind. Like realistically, you look for every failure in your past, and as long as no one dies, and as long as no one gets injured and health is damaged, it's really not a big issue. Like seriously, I mean, maybe you know, getting in the prison will be a problem, but sure. But I mean, if you're talking about talking about this extreme, all these like small things that can happen with you per day that don't affect your health or health of like some other people, it's really not a big issue. And I'm kind of like living in this regime for a while, so like great. For I mean, great fail probably like, you know, should upset me or something. No, it didn't happen. Like a lot of fails that I had, they may be big, maybe from other person's perspective or from my perspective when I was younger. But I mean, like nothing really is really a big deal these days. Sure, life is hard, but such is life. And that's what makes it exciting. Basically, yeah, no big fails that I can remember. This is exactly why I wanted to ask you these questions, man. I love that attitude. <laughs> ah, it's so good. Yeah, I got sort of the impression that you thought something along those lines, and I wanted, I wanted to find out for sure. <laughs> and that perspective that you have, I love it. It's outstanding. Wow, thank you. Thank you for sharing. That is awesome. What excites you the most about machine learning and data science space? So what excites me about machine learning? Uh, probably because it is new. Not in new as a technology, but I would say new as a way of thinking. So yeah, like how Andrew Inns says that machine learning, it's like electricity in 20th century. To think how electricity changed industry, the world, and opened the doors. If there was no electricity, no internet, no satellites, no like plenty of other stuff. And in this sense, machine learning right now, it's in a very mature stage. We don't know how to handle it well. Sure, it has some business applications and like there's a lot of hype all over internet. But if you realistically count percent of the companies, and you include small ones like bars, restaurants, insurance companies, I mean, everything else, smaller firms, like whatever you want, how well do we handle data? Meaning like, you know, like saving, transforming, and basically how well do we map data, like data into money? Not that well. I mean, sure, maybe big companies like Google have some progress in this. Still, I believe it can be like increased like thousandfold easily. And so machine learning opened us a door. It's like maybe it's Pandora's box. Who knows? I mean, just like some new opportunities, like basically it opens us a door to science fiction. Many things that just Things people talk about deep learning, machine learning, reinforcement learning, they look like just completely like foreign, like is it possible or not? And it may happen, and I believe it's only a beginning. There are like plenty of issues in deep learning. Let's say we don't know how to handle big data. I'll give you this example. If you take like, you take some paper and people train something on the image net and cool network and accuracy is like 81% of one. And then I believe in that same paper, they increase like size of the labeled data sets 3.5 thousand times. So they went from 1 million to 3.5 billion and the train same model and the accuracy was like only 3% more. Sure, it was an improvement from 81 to 84. But if you want to ask like, how much do you want to improve to get to the 99.9? And these numbers are like just, 
we don't know how to handle like this data. In some point soon, we'll be able to leverage more. But it's like one of the issues. Reinforcement learning is still like a problem. Like I know few examples. Like I mean, I can count the fingers of on my hand when it is used in the industry and brings some money. Some use cases still very undeveloped areas. So everything is very immature. Like how to handle data versioning, talent again. So I believe explosion and deep learning happen, and all this like people got attracted to the industry and universities started teaching it a lot and like frameworks and started developed and online classes and textbooks and everything only a few years ago so imagine right now it's 2019 this like image net competition in which alex krzyzewski and collaborators got this first place and kind of like was a like turning point in terms of attracting attention and showing that like deep learning can have actual value for the business it was only seven years ago i mean we have a long way to go and i'm kind of excited to see i like this work by google brain where they applied machine learning to find exoplanets in some data provided by nasa this is really cool application there's some applications people try to apply this to like detecting animals in the wild this is also kind of exciting but it's all in very like probably early immature like phase and basically it will be explosion so right now it's like you know when it was universe appeared after the big bang first stage was exponential growth like inflation and after this like it became to more stable and the world begin kind of like more similar to what we see right now it may happen that right now this machine learning that gets into the wild we end this like inflation space and like this machine learning all its applications modifications and maybe people who think about this in a new way because again looking at the world not from the world of like math or experiment or numerical simulation but purely from the point of date and seeing patterns there with all these like techniques that we have it's something new something exciting something that can and will change the world that's why i probably like machine learning these days amazing i really want to ask you about how you have gotten better at choosing what to do choosing what to focus on or what to prioritize in your career because i've in our conversation, I've obviously uh, realized that you've been, on one hand, so deliberate. It seems like you've been so deliberate in making your choices around how to maximize your work and your impact. So I wanted to ask you, how do you choose what to tackle, what challenges to face into, or what areas to chase? This is a good question. And I mean, the answer is probably, I don't know. So it's not like I have some like complete absolute vision where should i go i have some kind of vision so it's not like completely random but realistically at every point of time i'm just like doing something if i'm excited about this i'm doing and i'm trying to like develop my skills and my impact and basically use this time that i'm spending on this like project or this work or this other activity to basically to learn more because more you have is in terms of your like skills hard skills soft skills networking math anything else kind of helps and again for example even you know I was very passionate about partner dancing and invested a lot of time in this. And right now kind of helps. I met, you know, once a week I'm going like dancing, partner dancing. So no alcohol, kind of like everything is like nice. I mean, like match as well with my computer skills. And I mean, if I didn't invest at some point and I did this because I just like liked it when I was in grad school, I mean, maybe my life will be like more stressful and like I didn't have this channel of relaxation. But still, basically, I try to develop and maximize what I'm learning right now till probably I get a feeling that I'm 80% of what I can get there. I like more or less done i believe at this point you get like a bit bored 
and you start looking around and you pick like new exciting challenging area that like kind of like maybe drives you crazy you jump there and then you repeat this process and in this sense like if you have like three areas in, in front of you and you board and you're on the plateau you need to choose which of them to like pick and all of them three looks exciting pick any of them i mean waiting for another year deciding which of them better or not like just pick one and go there if you don't like it like i move somewhere else and let's say if my skill set was i don't even know like what can i pick something maybe you know, like mechanical some other like field basically not software engineering not science not physics transferring from field to field from the direction to the direction would be really hard but in the computer science you have a luxury that you can go from medical imaging to self-driving to like finance to somewhere else and it's definitely some like price that you pay like during this transfer but it's not as huge as you would go let's say from being lab assistants in some biology department to fintech company high frequency trader still basically yeah. skills and area in which we are working in allows us this luxury to pick something more exciting more well paid more impactful something that's closer to science fiction love it vlad this has been an absolute blast i only have one last question for you and i wanted to ask you for a takeaway for the audience something that you would like to leave them with maybe a piece of advice or anything else that you would like I would say it's like this. If your social life affects your job, fuck this job. I mean, jobs come and go and you need probably, don't forget about your family, your friends, I mean, your health. It's very important. Again, like I just really like blame myself. Probably one of the mistakes that you ask about mistakes, not that big, but still. So that I invested too much into like boosting my technical skills and I kind of like got like out of shape with respect to my body. So it took me like last year to get back to the normal, like I'm in shape that I like. So basically, I mean, don't think about jobs too much because they come and go. Do you think about like your mission, your values, and you know health social life we live only once and life should be exciting so yeah have fun that is so amazing okay that is a fantastic note to end on vlad thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for sharing your journey your insight your wisdom it was an absolute absolute pleasure thank you for inviting me thank you that brings this episode to conclusion thank you so much for listening Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.